Hey, this is Tim McGregor, and I'm the pastor of LOH Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. We're beginning our Easter series today. Uh, titled, The Bible Tells Me So, and this is message number one that I've called, Because Jesus Said So. And I'm believing that the Holy Spirit will renew your faith. Not that you've lost it, but just would continue to renew it. I'm believing that the Holy Spirit will re-energize your faith. We are in a time, and this is a deep concern of mine, we are in a time where uh, there has been a number of famous, uh, well-known, young, especially young believers in their 20s and 30s, well-known, who have renounced their faith in Christianity, their faith in Christ. And uh, for every popular and well-known believer that's done that and is doing that, there are many more in the shadows. And I'm not here to judge them um, Actually, I have a great deal of empathy for people that go through seasons like that and are struggling. And with, with that in mind, I also know that in a room with this many people, if you're a person that's been raised in the church or you're a part of a family of believer moms and dads or brothers and sisters, and perhaps underneath the surface you're struggling or you're wondering and you have more questions than answers, and you're not even sure that it's real. I know how hard that would be to get open and talk about that and share that with people who always have a Bible answer for you or say, hey, well, the Bible says, like I'm preaching on today. Um, but I have empathy for you. Um, whatever reality has rocked your once-settled theology, or whatever bad situation or big question that you have. I just saw on Reuters news yesterday about a, a, a parent whose, whose wife and daughter were killed in a bombing, and the man said, I, I don't believe in God anymore, because why would God let something like that happen? I'm not going to run into his world and cram in and say, well, you know, the Bible says, I feel for someone who's had their world rocked. And uh, I'm praying for people like that. We're going to believe that in this series of messages, God will meet you. Meet you. He has big shoulders, and you can put all of your doubts, fears, complaints on his shoulders. He won't not push him away from you. And as we do these messages, we're going to, we're, we're pivoting and we're heading toward uh, Jerusalem. We're heading toward the message of the cross and the empty tomb and the resurrection. And we'll get there, Good Friday, Easter, and beyond. But this morning I want to try to lay a foundation that we can have under our feet that will help us go there. Um, I want to tell you why the Bible's true to me today. And it's because of what I've titled this message, because Jesus said so. Now, when you were growing up and you went from listening to everything mom and dad said to reaching that place where you declared your independence and anything they said, the, the most repeated word that came out of your mouth was, why? And I don't know if you ever pulled this card out. I used to pull it out all the time because I said so. And there used to be a time when, you're, when my kid would go, okay. But then there also, then there was a point in time where, right? So? So you said, didn't say that. But I mean, you know, and I, I have to admit, I did the same thing with my parents, right? Once. <laughs> no. I want to talk to you today about why I believe we can believe the Bible because of Jesus said so. And here's where I want to start. When I think of Jesus, I, I, I want to say this. Jesus, 
Of all the people that have written commentaries and books about the Bible to explain, how many of you have a study Bible? You have a study Bible that has notes underneath and this means that and this good stuff. The greatest interpreter of the Bible, in my opinion, is Jesus. Uh, when he was preaching, he would say, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard, and he's preaching to all of these Jewish people, mostly, who've been raised up in, in the Torah, which is the first five books, and the prophets, and the Psalms, and the Proverbs, the wisdom writings. You have heard that it was said, and then he would paraphrase uh, something that they all thought the, the Bible said. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, huh? right? Have you read that in the red part? Uh, if you want to get started in your faith, read the red and pray for the power. That's simple. Read the red. Jesus is, and pray for the, God. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, oh, you say to us. Jesus is the greatest interpreter of the Bible. One day, he looked at the Jewish scholars, the people that knew it inside out, upside down, could quote it verbatim by memory, and he said to them, you need to go and learn what this means. And he quotes a passage that they were taking out of context and weren't living out correctly. His contrast and his interpretation was so shocking to those who knew what the Bible said that he had to say, I want you to understand, I haven't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. In other words, to bring the complete meaning of them to life through my life. Jesus is the greatest interpreter of the Bible. And he even was into that. He had that going on when he was 12 years old. We just finished a series about being nurtured in Nazareth and growing up in a nurturing environment. John the Baptist and Jesus... Jesus is 12. Luke's gospel tells us he apparently had a conversation with Jesus' mother, Mary. And Mary's the only one that knew this, so this is where we, we, we assume he got this from. At 12 years of age, in, in, in Mary's interview, she says, after being separated from him for three days, remember, they lost him? For three days? We finally found him in the temple sitting among the Jewish teachers, listening to them and asking them probing questions. And all who heard Jesus speak were awestruck at his intelligent understanding of all that was being discussed and his wise answers to their questions. He's 12 years old. Jesus is the greatest interpreter of the Bible. Remember, after he is resurrected... He joins two disciples. Cleopas is one of them. We only know his name and another. And they're leaving Jerusalem, and they're very distraught. I mean, their world has been rocked because he died. He really died. And Jesus, incognito, which I think is very humorous, not for them, but it was for God at the point, and he joins them incognito. And he asks them, why are your faces so downcast? And they stop and say, are you the only one living in Jerusalem? You, you don't know what's happened? You don't know the things? He's like, what things? He knows what things. What things? And they tell him. And then his response to them, look at the empathy Look at the empathy in Jesus' words. How foolish you are. What? How foolish you are and how slow to, what's the next word? Believe all that the prophets have spoken. What? Wasn't it told in the prophets? What's he pointing to? He's not pointing to the Old Testament. He's pointing to the only Testament. There wasn't a New Testament. There was just the Bible. Started in Genesis, ended in Malachi. The Bible. The only Testament. And he's saying, 
Why don't you believe what the prophet said? And so he begins to talk to them about that. And they ask him to stay with them. He stays with them. They, they sit down at a table. He breaks bread. And their eyes are open. They realize it's him. And then he disappears. He disappears. And they ask each other. Notice this closely. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And what did he do? Opened the scriptures to us. He took the only Bible and opened it up to us. Right? The only scriptures. They didn't call them the Old Testament. It was the only testament. The reason why Jesus had to say, now, I haven't, what I'm saying, I'm not trying to destroy, I'm not trying to rewrite your Bible, I'm trying to explain it to you. Stay with me. Stay with me. There are technical terms that describe what Jesus did when it says he opened the scriptures. There are two words. The first word is the word hermeneutics. It means the science of interpreting literature, the science of interpreting a document. In our case, the science of interpreting the scriptures. Hermeneutics. And then there is another word, it's a Greek word called exegesis. Did you say Jesus had an ex? No. Exegesis. Exegesis. It means to draw out the author's meaning in a text. So, if you write a letter to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, if you write a letter to your friend or family, and people read it, and they interpret it, and then they get on the news and they explain what your letter meant, and you're watching that and you're thinking, I didn't mean that at all. Who's right? The one who wrote it, right? So exegesis means you take a passage in the Bible, and you ask yourself, who wrote this? When was it written? To whom was it written? And what does that word mean, not in my generation, in theirs? Let me tell you why that's important. The next slide. Proverbs 18.2. Fools find pleasure in understanding, but delight... Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. So here are the two points I want to make by this. One's by a great noted scholar, and the other one's by someone who is not a great noted scholar. Dr. Gordon Fee, who wrote a book called Reading the Bible for All It's Worth, great book, he said this, the Bible can never mean what it never meant. And then I say unto you, the Bible will only mean what it only meant. So, if it's 1940, if it's 1940, any of you still hanging in here? Do you, do you live in the, you, you're back? Wow, hello out there, old person. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, 1940, you're working at the hardware store with your friend, and you have another friend, and your friend you're working with was at the other friend's house the day before, and you're talking, and, and the guy says, the guy's name's uh, Bob, and he says, you know what? Yesterday, Bob came out of the closet. You'd be like, what was he doing in the closet? Right? Because literally, that meant Bob was standing in a closet. If you said that today, that doesn't mean that at all. Right? So what does it really mean? It depends what decade you're in. You can't superimpose what it means now on what it meant then. Right? So, the word love. Love one another. There's love songs and you love fudge and you love donuts. Did you get the box that was uh, fat-free? The one that, that was that one box, right? You loved, I love donuts, right? You eat a donut in public, you eat it differently than when you'd eat it at home. <laughs> Especially glazed. If you eat a glaze with nobody around, you don't care if the glaze is all over your face, right? 
these guys have some of the best honey known in, in the world. I'm just going to say that. So I had, they, got, they gave me some, and then I had to buy the next round. That's what you do. They get them hooked, and then you got to pay for it. So I paid for it, but I got some for my kids. And uh, I was telling Savannah, who's here today, and I was telling Savannah how great it was, and I gave it to her, and then she was driving home and texted me and said, Dad, I couldn't wait to get home. I had to lick some off the lid. <laughs> some things, you know, like, and uh, in, pri in private with glazed donuts, man, I don't care if it's, as a matter of fact, the more it's around your face, later on you can go, oh yeah. <laughs> I love, I love donuts. Well, there's a word for love in the Greek. Is that the kind of love, when Jesus said love one another, he means like, like a donut? <laughs> like you love the, whatever team you love? I love the pirates. I love the this. Or, well, how do you know what word it is? Well, what word did John use? Because that's the word. It's the word agape. There's four kinds of words in the Greek for love, and John uses the word agape, which means he doesn't use eros, a sexual. He doesn't use phileo, which is a brotherly love, like Philadelphia freedom, brother, city of brother, phileo. He doesn't use that. He uses the word agape. And that word is the kind of love that Jesus talks about when he says, what credit is it if you love your friends? God wants you to love your enemies. So the kind of love we're talking about when it says love one another is lay your life down for not only your friends, but even your enemies. See the difference? Well, I love people. Do you The Bible can never mean what it never meant, and it can only mean what it only meant. Uh, I was on a run the other day, and I was listening to the book of Revelation on, 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 on my, on my, uh, with, uh, with my headphones or whatever, and uh, couldn't think of it. What's the Apple word? I can't think of it. I've got to move on. Used to be headphones. See, it's not headphones. It's with those little thing. Buds, whatever. And I'm listening to this part where it says that the, the, when the seventh trumpet sounds, the angel will come down and he will declare that the mystery of God is over and it's time. And, and John hears that and he begins to write down what the angel said. And God says, don't write down what he said because it's sealed to the time of the end. And what that means is nobody knows when that is. So, if someone comes along and says, hey, we're going to have a conference called the Seven Thunders Conference, and I'm going to, I have the spiritual power to impart to you the Seven Thunders Revelation, don't waste your time. You with me? Don't waste your time. Because the Bible will never, never reveal that until that happens. So if anybody comes along and says, well, the Holy Spirit told me. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit and Herman are close friends, hermeneutics. The Holy Spirit and exegesis are one and the same. Because the Holy Spirit led John to write what John wrote. So the Holy Spirit would not want us to go, oh, what? show me a deeper revelation of what that means. Well, no, no, no. It means what John said. That's, uh, how many are with me? Why is, why is that important? Because there's a lot of things being said with new revelation. And the Bible can never mean what it never meant. Okay, it's very important. Now, with all that said, exegesis means drawing out the author's meaning. Here's where I love this. Jesus is the exegesis of God. Meaning, in human form, he's like an interpretation, exact revelation of who God is. Jesus is the exegesis. Jesus is the drawn out meaning of God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But that's only if his claims can be validated. Because if he dies on the cross and doesn't come back from the grave... So what if he said, I'm the way, truth, and the life? He's dead. He's gone. Those two guys on the Emmaus Road, it's over. It's not beginning. It's over. The only way to give Jesus the time of day is to see, did he really come back from the grave or not? Because, see, that's what the Christian faith rises and falls on. Not on whether or not it was six literal created days or six eons of time over billions of years. It doesn't necessarily matter what kind of fish the big fish was that Jonah was swallowed in. It doesn't matter. But when Jesus says, 
The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the big fish, so will I be in the heart of the earth. Now, if he doesn't come out of the grave, who cares what Jonah What does it matter? But if Jesus comes out of the grave, he validates Noah and the ark. He validates Jonah. He validates Abraham. And oh, watch this. He validates that God made them male and female in the beginning. Male. Female. Well, what are they? I'm going to create my own definition. Hmm. So how did the Emmaus Road, I jumped ahead guys, sorry. How did the Emmaus Road moment, which would impact Caesar's household, eventually reach our household? Think about that for a minute. Here's these two guys. And there's a couple other guys back there scared to death. And there's a few others that are around scared to death because they think what's going to happen to Jesus, what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. Why not? If he didn't stop it and he could stop the wind. What happened that took them out of that room and when Paul, 40 years later, is writing a church that's not in Jerusalem, that's out in the Greek islands called Philippi, and he writes them from a Roman prison cell, and he says, people inside Caesar's own household greet you. How does the gospel go all the way from those two guys that gave up on their faith to reaching Caligula's house? Something happened. Something happened. As my British professor used to say in college, oh, brothers, his resurrection validates his claims. She was British. I loved how she talked. It was like, anyway, a try. Look what Jesus said to the Jewish leaders. I love this. The Jews then responded to him. Remember when he drove out the money changers in the temple? They said, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he spoke of was his body. Look at this. After being raised from the dead, when you come back to life again, your words have a little bit more power. Right? There you are. I need to find a way. I need to find the truth. I need to find the life, says the professor. And the 28-year-old raises his hand to back and says, Sir, I'm the way, the truth. And he goes, Who do you think you are, God? Stick around. Then they believed the Scripture. What? The Scripture? The Scripture pointed. The, again, the only testament there was was the old There was no other Bible. The Bible was put together a couple centuries later. The reason why non-Jewish people in Western civilization carry around a copy of the Jewish scriptures is because somebody was mentioned in the Jewish scriptures that rose from the grave and people saw it eyewitnesses and went throughout the entire Roman Empire telling that story and 11 of the 12 except for Judas gave their life when they could have caved and said it was a lie. They died, some were crucified upside down, some were flayed alive with knives, some were speared to death, and every one of them died, and with their dying breath said, we saw him alive after he died. What do you do with that? And then the Jewish scriptures, when the apostles went to the synagogues all around the Roman Empire, they opened up the only Bible there was, and they said, look, Hosea, After three days, we will be raised. There was one. Stories about lambs. Stories about the ark. And he pointed to all these things. The words that Jesus said could be validated from the scriptures, but it wouldn't have mattered if he doesn't come out of the tomb. 
Here's another passage I love. Here's what Jesus said to the scholars who didn't believe in him. He said, you study the scriptures. Again, what were the scriptures? Genesis to Malachi. There was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were being written. The reason why they didn't have them written by the, at least the 40s was because they were doing it. They were doing it. He said, you study the scriptures diligently. Let's go to the next one. You study, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Now we... 2,000 years later, we have, we have Jesus up in the cosmos, and he's sacred, and he's churchy, and he's Christian, he's religion. Back then, he was a 28 to 30-year-old peasant, poor, young guy. At my age, no disrespect to those who are 25 to 35, but I could still see you as a kid. And when I was a little kid, I thought 25 and 30 was, wow, that's... I thought 50 was, that's like George Washington. But now that I'm George Washington, I think sometimes, no disrespect, but I think 25, 30, you're just getting started. So here's this pe peasant from up in the hillbilly hills of Galilee saying to them, you know those scriptures you've studied for 25, 30 years? that you carry around in the little phylacteries on your, wrapped around your head? They're about me. Would you be... Do you think it would be quite as easy as we've made it? Because, well, Jesus. Look what else he says. Do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. Look, if you believed Moses, he, Moses wrote Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Jesus says, if you would have believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Now look, that means that it's impossible to have a full understanding of who Jesus is without having the faith that points to Jesus energized in your life by going back into the book because Jesus walked out of the pages of the book. And the only book, the only scriptures, the only Bible. Hey, have you found Jesus in Leviticus? He is saying, if you read the book of Genesis, Moses is telling you a story, but, the, but they're shadows of the real light. I'm, a, I'm in those stories. Same with Exodus. Same with Leviticus. Same, huh? Isn't that interesting? But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe? What else, what other frame of reference are you going to have besides that book to understand me? In other words, if you're reading the New Testament, right? If you're reading the letters of Paul, how do you understand some of the things that Paul's trying to make clear to a New Testament believer without understanding the Old Testament because the Old Testament's mentioned all over it. How do you understand the relevancy of the priesthood? He's saying about the blood. The blood? What do you mean the blood? The blood? Without a frame of reference of the Old Testament, what's the blood mean? We sang, oh, the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? I was thinking as we sang that, for if there was a Jewish person in this room, they'd be like, What? Are you saying, are you saying that the blood of, because they're going, the Bible, you see what I'm saying? Look in Luke 24, 27, because this is going to be our journey. The reason I wanted to lay this foundation is because we're going to do verse 27. This is Jesus before he has ascended to the Father, and beginning with Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, five books, Torah, five books. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Some scholars believe that the prophets start Joshua all the way through. Some call Joshua, 
and up through the Kings and Chronicles, the, the historical narrative. It doesn't matter either way. But in, in, in this place, he's calling the scriptures, the only scriptures, the only scriptures, Moses' writings, from, and then from Joshua all the way to Malachi. Look what it says. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Next verse. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. From where? In the only testament. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And here's what I'm going to ask that God will do for us. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. You're talking about having a deeper faith in Jesus? A deeper understanding? We're going to go there. We're going to go there. And here's why. Because this will energize your faith. My prayer for every believer, every person that's a believer, every person that's in the book, that you will stand in awe of Jesus who comes out of the shadows in the light. That you will not only have your face in the book, but your heart in the book. And that the Holy Spirit will stir your faith and new sense of wonder when you see how that Jesus is speaking through the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. How that the curse from eating the fruit off a tree is carried by the seed of the woman who is cursed for hanging on a tree to take that curse away from you and me, to free us and emancipate us and create an exodus for us that never ends. And how he suffered for us, all foretold, and that by seeing that, you'll also realize that there are other things that have yet to happen that are not only mentioned in the new, but found in the old. And that's where we're going to go. Now, if you're here today and you are, you fit the description of the person I talked about earlier, and you're hearing your favorite worship singer Get on and say, you know what, I no longer, I no longer, I no longer believe. And you ask them why or drill in deeper and you find out that usually there's some sort of traumatic thing that took place with a why question. And as loud as, the, as that can be and as, and as shaking or as that can be, we fail to realize that there are always people who experience the same thing and maybe worse, who get stronger in their belief. And what I'm praying for you is that's what's going to happen for you. And if you've yet to come to believe, here's what I hope happens to you. And it's the last passage I have from Acts 26 when the Apostle Paul is Speaking to King Agrippa, the Jewish king, Herod Agrippa, uh, late 50 AD, 50 AD, maybe 60, and he says this. He's told him about how Jesus appeared to him on the road to, and he, and he, and he tells it, and, and he says this. He doesn't appeal to that. Here's what he appeals to. Look what he says. King Agrippa, do you believe the what? Prophets. In other words, if you are familiar with Isaiah, with Daniel, with Micah, and I know you believe them, 
if you believe them, what I'm talking about happened. What they were talking about in 722 BC, in 650 BC, in 400 BC, I saw him. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa said to Paul, do you, he starts shaking, man. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? What I'm praying, what I'm praying is over these weeks, if that's you, you believe the Bible, but the Bible hasn't arrested you. You know he's out there. You know you can reach God. And you know Jesus. You don't want, and you see this stuff going on rushing. You think, well, someone told me the signs of the times. And how close are we to the ark, baby? How close are we to the ark? Can we get there? I mean, can we get there? Have the car ready. Can we get the ark. Make sure. Do you have any idea when they're going to close the door? Do you know when they're going to close the door? I had a friend when I first became a believer at 17 years old, and I started reading prophecy about the times of the end, and it was 1979, and Russia was invading Afghanistan, and I thought, hey, this is that. And I went to one of my drinking buddies' houses, I sat in his living room, and I told him, I didn't talk about scripture, I just had a bunch of guys that I'd heard preach about Jesus is coming on Thursday. And I told him all that freaked him out so bad, freaked him flat out, I thought Jesus would be back at least two weeks. That's been a little while ago. A little while ago. But I ran into his grandmother a couple weeks after that, and she said, Timmy. That's what they called me. They still do. Some do. Timmy, would you go and talk to, named her grandson again, because I don't know what you said to him, but he walked around in the days for a couple days. He said, I've been praying for him to come to God, come to Christ. That guy was in the 8 o'clock service this morning. Don't give God a big shout. Just give him a little tip clap. Just a little tip. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so impressed with your abilities. My goodness. I'm praying what Paul said. I pray to God that you and all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. This man tried to have the followers of Jesus killed. Paul. And was on his way to Damascus with authority from the Jewish priests to arrest anyone who believed in Jesus. And on the way, before lunch at noon, a blazing light hit him and he heard a voice say, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? Now imagine hearing this. I am Jesus. So this guy goes from that guy to a guy who is not only willing to preach, to get beaten, stoned, left for dead, and get up and go to the next town and do it again. How long do you do that? And he didn't get paid for it. He worked selling tents to support his own ministry. He didn't get paid for the gospel. And he'd get up and do it. And he went. The reason why he is talking to Agrippa is because he went to Jerusalem when others were saying, don't go there, and he gets arrested there. He wants to get to Rome and preach to the Romans, even if it means he dies. What makes a person do that? What makes a person not walk away? Something happened to him. And God can make something happen to you. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus didn't... Ru- Listen, what are, we do- what are we doing here? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this is the biggest lie. The biggest waste of time you could... E- not because you're, because look, what? If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, what does it matter about forgiving somebody? If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, let's get out of here and get on with it because the clock is ticking and when it's over, it's over. So go get the can, can all you can get, get the can and take everybody else's can. 
What are the rules? Who cares? But don't give. Why should we give this even a thought of our time? Why? But if Jesus of Nazareth rose from the grave, we should not only give that a second thought, that should be the thought through which everything in our life is filtered. One of my friends says it like this. If you're going to be a Christian, be one. What kind? I remember sitting in a chapel in this, in Southeastern University and a, a guy that just came off the field from India got up and he was talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and at the, at the end he asked people who wanted to have a, a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit and people started coming up in big numbers and he goes, wait a second, wait a second. I'm not asking, I'm not wanting you to come seeking the Holy Spirit like your grandpa has or your church has. I'm asking you this. Do you want the Holy Spirit that Simon Peter had and Paul had? Because that Holy Spirit is not about you. It's about the mission. So, if we have the Spirit that raised Jesus of Nazareth from the dead living in us, and we call ourselves a spirit-filled, spirit-open church, then the Spirit of God will be dynamically changing our lives. I want everybody to stand, please. I want, you to, I want you just to, as we did at the beginning, just to, to just, uh, before you think about shifting and changing, just uh, with me, um, close your eyes if you would. God, I And just create a personal place between you and the Lord. If you're struggling with your faith, I remember my father dying at 62 of a out-of-the-blue brain aneurysm. And I remember the night before having my buddies that were prayer warriors. I mean, people that could get a hold of God in prayer, praying with me that God would raise my dad up. It was, it was the Tuesday after Easter in the year 2000. And I really believed with every bit of every fiber of my being that I was going to walk in that room in the morning and see my dad getting better. And he, he didn't get better. He died within 24 hours. And that rocked me. Because the Sunday before that at Easter, I preached a message about how God can do miracles, impossible things. And you know, I confessed this to our church years. Uh, for years, I kept myself from preaching on miracles because I didn't want to, I'm ashamed to say this, I'd say this to God, I didn't want to give you false hope. And I really struggled with that. I never stopped believing that God could do anything, but I just never saw Him do every, anything like that when I needed Him to do it for me. And it rocked me. It rocked me hard. It rocked me so much that I didn't preach on miracles or healing for probably 20 years. And I stood right here and apologized to our church. You know why? Because one day the Lord got through to me and here's what he said. You have not, and he said it lovingly to me. You have not been given permission by me to be an arbitrator over what I want you to preach from this book. You can't rob others from experiencing 
a release of my ministry based on the own trauma that shook your faith. So I'm trying. I have to tell you, it's still hard for me. The reason why I can empathize is because I know what it feels like when the God you know can do anything and, and the, speak to the mountain, it'll move. And that mountain not only doesn't move, it gets bigger. When the things you want God to do the most doesn't happen and just doesn't happen. I got a shelf in my spiritual life with a lot of questions. I just got a lot of questions I just put on that shelf. But here's what I think is going to happen in my life. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. While, while, I, while I've lived in times with questions, I've watched God use me to touch others. While I didn't know how I could stand right here and preach, I've had people literally write me and say, I was going to take my life and you said, blah, blah, blah. And God said to me, keep going. And I went back to my manuscript and thought, I never even said that. So while I'm up here flying blind, God's doing something else. Don't give up. If all you have is questions, if you feel like you're on the water and the waves and the wind and you're sinking, you're to here now, Jesus will grab a hold of you when you can't grab a hold of him. Here's what I want to pray over this side of the room first and then over here. That is Paul said, when I came to you, I didn't come with wise and persuasive words trying to convince you. I came with a demonstration of the spirit and power so your faith wouldn't rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So wherever you are and whatever's going on or hasn't gone on, or you want to go on and need to go on and it's not going on, or things are going on and you're thinking, thank you, Lord, but I really need this instead of that. And I don't mean to be picky, but this would really help me more. And I don't know why you don't see that. And I am struggling here. I'm praying while you're still wrestling with questions, God will swallow up those questions with his presence. Father, from the back row to the front row on this side of the room, and I'm coming over here in a minute, I want you to create space, friend. I want you to create space to give Jesus permission to prove himself strong. Not the way you think you need him to prove it, but the way he knows you need him to prove it. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself strong in the lives of people in this room and those watching live stream. I pray you'd swallow up their circumstance with the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. All over this place. All over this place. All over this part of the room right now. From the front to the back. Permeate this place with a convincing presence. Lord, on this side of the room, I pray, Lord Jesus, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Some of you you are convinced your life is over and the people that love you the most are even confirming it it's over and the Lord is saying to somebody it is just beginning it's just beginning do not listen do not look don't trust your feelings Lord, I pray for the people on this side of the room that a demonstration of your spirit witness and power would be released to people. I want everybody in this place, if you would, to just say this to the Lord. Just You can whisper it, you can say it in your heart, or you can say it out loud, or you can shout it from the rooftops. Lord, I receive your presence. 
say it again. Lord, I receive your presence, Jesus. Lord, I receive your presence. Last night, I had this message finished, and I got on my knees to pray for you. And I've been praying every week, like, like Jesus told Simon, if you love me, feed my sheep. And I get down on my knees on Saturday night, and I just take a couple minutes before the Lord, and I say, Lord, I have this, and I, know, I feel like you gave it to me, but Lord, it doesn't matter. My goal is not to preach it well. My goal is not to get through on a certain time frame. Here's what I pray, God. They're your sheep. They're your people. Lord, if there's any way you can use me, feed them. Feed them what they need. I, do, I am limited. I'm just a guy. I do. Feed them. And he, listen, and he, he led me to Zechariah 10. I don't even study Zechariah. I read Zechariah 10 and it says, and, and I, I, this is spring weekend, right? And then it's spring weekend. And I found this verse that says, this is crazy. It says, ask the Lord for rain in the time of the spring rains. Got that last night. Let's ask him. The rain is his presence. The, do you, anyone? Man. The rain is his presence. Lord, we ask you for what we can't generate, what we can't demonstrate. Rain down your healing, restoring, re-energizing. Hallelujah. Do you feel that? Reawakening, refreshing life-saving, miraculous-making presence. In this place, in this place, while we sing this song, give God permission to minister to you. Just put your questions on the shelf. They'll be there later if you want them. <laughs> but just let God minister to you before you go. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.